Hello, and welcome into a Monday edition of Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm Cameron Tepitabai, your host for today, joined as always by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. The Celtics are streaking, Jason Tatum has been positively on fire, and Boston just signed 2014 second overall pick Jabari Parker to a two-year deal. The Seas are playing their 58th game of the season as we speak, currently in the second quarter against the Bulls. Gentlemen, how are you feeling? Feeling decent enough. Uh, anytime that Jason Tatum gets this hot, that's going to affect my mood quite positively. So all things being equal, not bad. I have a lot of grading to do, as always, but C's are rolling, so everything's fine. That's basically how I feel, too. I've got a lot going on right now, but Boston Celtics on a six-game winning streak is a good sell for it. Well, Dr. Quinn is being quite modest. He just bought a standing desk. So <laughs> if you notice that his content looks like it's coming from an even healthier person it's because of the standing desk i'm on april break i'm doing great thanks for asking uh what we are going to do today for the lab portion of the programming is we're going to use the parker signing to go ahead and explore some of brad stevens other reclamation projects and possibly use that to decide what to expect from jabari parker all credit to dr quinn that was his idea it's a very good one but first as always let's break down the week that was so as of this moment, and perhaps that will change by the time we finish recording, the Celtics are riding a six-game win streak, the NBA's longest, and they just got back from a very lucrative West Coast swing. And there's a lot to talk about from that trip, but I actually think the game against Golden State, which was back in Boston, is the place to begin because for anyone missed it, it was NBA basketball at its finest. It's a, a league so dominated by star power. And not only is Steph Curry, I mean, just the premier star, perhaps, of this era, not only did he go bananas, but young Jason Tatum kept pace. Um, Quinn or Goldberg, what do you think? It was a pleasure to watch. I mean, mano yeah, right. mano dueling. Uh, it's so far my favorite game of the year, and that's even topping the 53-point performance by Tatum. Mm-hmm. I would second that, Dr. Quinn. Uh, I love that game. Everything about that game was awesome. I just, I mean, my God, Steph Curry is so unbelievably good at basketball. It's like the shot that he hit where the 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 three-point <laughs> hook shot and one was, I mean, that was psychotic. I've never seen anything like that. And to watch a brilliant player play at the absolute peak of his powers like that. And then to still come out of that game with a win uh, with Jason Tatum, basically going blow for blow with one of the great players in the history of this league. That's a really encouraging sign. Just what a fun, awesome way to cap off this, this streak. Yeah. For a season, just so devoid, especially for Celtics fans of things to celebrate. Tatum, I mean, uh, rather, Brown was out and Tatum rose to the occasion. And the Celtics are going to go as far as Tatum and Brown take them. And this was just so much fun. Uh, Steph Curry is just like an entertainer of of such high caliber. I love watching Steph Curry play basketball. Quick correction and, there, Cam. Uh, also, the Celtics are tied for the longest win streak in the NBA with uh, the New York the Knickerbockers. Knicks. Shout out to any what? Knicks fans. Who are listening? Uh, if you are, I don't know why. This is Celtics podcast. Go listen All to right. the next well, podcast. Well, um, but... also, if our intern is listening, you just got fired. So good job <laughs> out of you. <laughs> I think another fun takeaway from that game, other than Deuce Tatum just being such a star uh, in the postgame, was Kemba Walker showed up. 
I don't know how good this, this Warriors team is outside of Curry just being fun and really good. I mean, I don't know that this was a big win. I think it's an instant classic, but I don't think it's a big win. Uh, but Kemba played great and he played great in the fourth. Uh, I have had my eyes on the Celtics fourth quarter performance all season, and I am happy to report that the Celtics are 17th in fourth quarter plus minus, which is probably the best mark they've had all season. So yeah, weren't we uh, at 1.29th? They were dead last by a big, (laughs) big, big margin. Yeah. Uh, I think that Kings have summarily taken that, Hmm. that standing. So Kemba Walker playing great in the fourth is kind of a life or death situation for these Celtics, as far as I'm concerned. And if Jason Tatum's going to play like that, that's even better. That was, that was super fun to watch. Any other thoughts on not just that game, which was, again, I think an instant classic, but how Tatum has been playing. He just missed Eastern Conference Player of the Week, the highest honor that the NBA can bestow, you know. Um, but he was nominated, so good job out of him. And uh, as was Brown and our friend Terry Rozier, that's fun. But yeah, any thoughts on Tatum? I mean, this has just been maybe well, the, the best streak of his career sans anything in the playoffs. Well, uh, if you'll flash back to a few episodes ago, specifically right around the All-Star break, one of our enlightened and very smart Celtics podcast co-hosts may or may not have said something about how they had high expectations for Jason Tatum coming out of the All-Star break. And boy, has he delivered. This guy has been on a roll as hot as hot can possibly get. Um, and what, what has really impressed me the most Obviously, the scoring numbers have been crazy, and that's a huge part of, uh, you know, Jason Tatum's game and where where the Celtics will be going, hopefully. But what's impressed me also is that Tatum is settling into this role of being a playmaker a little more. Uh, he's using his explosive offensive performance to set dudes up. Uh, you know, it, I'm we're kind of we've got this Celtics Bulls game going on in the background. Just going to pull up some stats real quick. Uh, Tatum already has five assists, and that's just in the first half. And he has been going out of his way to set up other dudes and to use the threat of his offense, which is undeniably a very credible one based on these past performances, to really hunt uh, for good situations that his teammates can thrive in. So I've been really impressed. I think this is about as good as he's ever played, and he's played really, really well up to this point. So good stuff. Keep it rolling, JT. I think you put your finger on a really important key thing that I've also been, you know, harping on and a lot of people have been harping on, which is ball movement. You're seeing Kemba Walker changing his game to be more of a pure point guard rather than a score first point guard. I mean, he still kind of is more of a scorer, but compared to how he usually plays, he's passing the ball way more than he ever has. And Mark is smart, except for, you know, when he kind of feels the need to, to like step up and fill in for people when they're missing for the most part, he's also been moving the rock a lot more too. So I think that's also been a really important part of what's been going right for Boston recently. Yeah, the, I think that you're absolutely right. Uh, Kemba in the past 15 games is averaging 6.1 assists. But Oh, no, sorry, that's that's for the season. Excuse me. No, no, that is last 15 games. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but right behind him is Smart at 5.9 assists. So there is this kind of two-headed monster of people trying to play uh, point guard. And really fascinatingly, Tatum, who gets a lot of burn with the bench, it seems like we're settling into this rhythm where he is out there with Pritchard, he's out there with other guys who are going to need 
a little bit of leadership, although he, he does play a lot with Thompson too. And Tatum is up to uh, 3.9 assists per game, which is not a huge number, but it's ticking up. But really what I've been loving is he's getting to the line just a teeny bit more. Now he's yes. in the past 15 games. That's the uh, matrix I have in front of me. He's only averaging 5.1 free throw attempts, which is not superstar numbers. I mean, the best in the business are getting fouled or going to the charity stripe at least a dozen times a game. So there's room to improve, but again, the Celtics are only going to go as far as their stars take them. And that means playing like an NBA all-star and that means getting to the foul line. So uh, I love watching Tatum compete. I am so impressed by how smooth his three point shot looks. I'm so impressed at how he breaks down defenders in the post, but it's the free throw attempts, which stinks to high hell, but I really do think is, is a really important number and it's trending in the right direction. So uh, as we have, I think, established, or I'm just going to go ahead and unilaterally say it's established, the Celtics are going to go as far as Tatum and Brown take them with a, a helping of Walker and Smart in the wings. But to get to uh, a favorable seating, to get through perhaps a play-in game, and who knows, to insulate against injury, the role guys are going to be really important. And the Celtics made a signing that, correct me if I'm wrong, no one else <laughs> saw coming. Uh, they went ahead and they signed Jabari Parker, again, the former second overall pick in 2014, to a two-year deal. And Jabari came in and played phenomenally. I, arguably, it was a really important part of that win against Golden State the other day. So before we talk about all of the other reclamation projects that we have seen in the Brad Stevens era, let's just shine a little bit of a light on Jabari Parker. So uh, Mo Wagner, Mo Wagner, is out. Jabari Parker is in. He most recently played for Sacramento where he did not play very well or very often. And now I guess we will see what role he fills with the Celtics, but the early returns are staggering to say the least. Alex, what, what was your first thought when you got the notification Jabari Parker signing with the Celtics? My first thought was, this is fine. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't pre- particularly have two high hopes for Jabari. Uh, he's a guy who's bounced around the league a lot. Um, obviously, the story of Jabari Parker's career up to this point has been um, solid potential derailed by numerous ACL injuries, which is really unfortunate, but that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Um, so when we signed him, I thought perfectly fine. You know, I'm I'm happy to uh, say goodbye to the Mo Wagner era, uh, Mo Good luck to you uh, mashing your face into other players somewhere else. Have fun with that. No, uh, but I thought Jabari was a perfectly fine signing. I didn't think that he was honestly going to get a whole lot of burn, but I failed to anticipate that the Celtics uh, always get burn. Everybody on their roster gets burned because we just have everybody injured all the time. So, uh, and to that effect, Jabari has played pretty well. I mean, he has... In this game, as it's happening, he has six points off the bench, three of five shooting, uh, one rebound. And I was fairly impressed by what he did in Golden State in the Golden State game. Uh, he had a nice tip-in dunk, a uh, tough jump hook with a bunch of dudes on him, uh, and his best move of the night, a tricky baseline turnaround fade. That, uh, that That's not an easy shot to make. So I've been impressed. Uh, I think that Jabari definitely has a spot on this roster for some matchups. 
He's still got big size. Uh, his jump shot looks decent. I don't think he's ever really going to be a plus defender again in his career. But if you need somebody to come in with the bench unit, uh, give Tatum a little breather and somebody who can just make a couple of shots, Jabari seems like a fine option. So Jabari is a four-year college player who was a, a huge, huge, huge recruit into the NBA. And fast forward seven seasons, and he's on his seventh team in the NBA. Dr. Quinn, can you – or his sixth team, excuse me. Can you uh, break down Jabari Parker's five previous NBA teams? Off the top trivia. of my head, well, he was drafted by the Bucks in 2014. Started with the Bucks, Number two pick – uh, I know he played for the Hawks, this team before the Kings. No, you, no, uh, oh, got me. He went from the Bucks to the Bulls to the okay. Hawks to the Wizards, although I don't oh, know if I he got any Wizards, and then to the Kings, and now he is a member of the Boston Celtics. So, Dr. Quinn, uh, are you inclined to agree with Alex's optimism? Yeah, just because I think if people are there, is always you know this potential for for quasi-star upside. And I think that is, you know, they, they talked about bringing him along slowly, the, the coaching staff. And I do think that's the right idea, but not just necessarily to, you know, hit that very unlikely, if we're being honest, potential. Um, and I don't say that because of, you know, work ethic or, or any kind of like laziness kind of a thing. Uh, he was famous for saying that they don't pay people to play defense in the NBA. I don't oh, yeah. think that that's <laughs> oh, Parker. Yeah, no, I mean, seriously, I think he probably really regrets saying that now uh, at this stage of his career. And I think he does try pretty hard to play defense. The key for him is going to be health. Obviously, he only played, I think, six games for Sacramento um, mm-hmm. last season. So whether or not he can stay healthy is going to be a big part of whether or not he can use the skill set that he brings, which is kind of like a more post around the basket kind of uh, very someone someone in the, the his first game called him Jabari McHale, which oh, died. That's eager. That far. <laughs> I mean, it's very very far above what we're going to see from him, obviously. But I mean, in terms of what he can bring to the to the table, um, he can provide kind of more of a throwback thing that won't really work so well in the modern NBA, even if he was healthy. But it's really good to use against second units and just to mix things up, to to bust zones, that kind of a thing. Yeah, uh, he has had seasons where he's been a very good three-point shooter i don't know that that can be guaranteed he has never had a good season where he has looked like a plus defender but he's never really played on a good defensive team uh or at least not as outside of maybe his rookie and sophomore year so i don't know what to expect there i guess i sort of see him as a much more athletic ennis Cantor. to say nothing ennis Cantor is a world-class rebounder i don't want to take anything away from ennis but it's interesting it's very endearing and Alex, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is a person whose career was just devastated by really hard injuries. So whatever the Jabari Parker is that we've seen most recently, we don't know if that was his NBA destiny or it's just bad luck. So the second year really interests me. I think there's going to be a lot of hand wringing going into the offseason, perhaps. I suppose it depends on how the playoffs go. Having its... $2 million, $2 million and change on the books could facilitate trades, could get in the way, could signal something to come. I have really have no idea, but I didn't really think that Jabari Parker would be, he and his people would be negotiating from a position of strength. So that caught me by surprise a little bit. Now, all of that said, we know that Brad Stevens, who categorically denies being offered a 
big fat deal from Indiana. Thank you very much, Woj. Brad Stevens has been very good in Boston at taking players that are in in a transition, underdeveloped, underperforming, or not very good, and turning them into productive NBA players. So what we thought we would do, and by we, I mean Dr. Quinn, he had the smart idea, and we're going to claim it as our own. We're going to use the lab portion of the programming to take a look and revisit some of these fun reclamation projects, which might be harsh, but I think we're right about this. So what we are going to do is we're going to break down a few of these reclamation projects, gauge how successful Brad Stevens was here by seeing what happened to these players when they left Boston. Okay, before we jump into the lab portion of the programming, Alex, you have some breaking news about Mr. Jabari Barker. Yeah, he just had a nice facial on Kobe White. Uh, I'm just watching it on my phone as we're recording this podcast. It was pretty sweet. I've retweeted it from my account, uh, my official Twitter account, designer underscore smarf. Check it out if you want to see sick Jabari Parker highlights. That's all. Well, while we're in the business of plugging things, if you have made it this far, you might as well go ahead and leave us a five-star review wherever you got this fine podcast. And you might as well go ahead and find a Celtics Lab t-shirt for yourself. So go download all the Divine Sweater albums, go buy yourself a t-shirt, and rate us five stars. Now, onto the lab. We are going to look at some of Brad Stevens' better reclamation projects and try to make sense of, A, what it is that Brad Stevens is doing to get these players back into form, and B, what can we expect about Jabari Parker? So what we've done is we have listed a good number of players that came to Boston needing a change of scenery, on their way out from the NBA, on their way out from professional basketball. And lo and behold, their time with the Celtics, however short, seems to have turned things around, perhaps credit to Brad Stevens. So we're going to break a few of these down and see if we can learn a thing or two about is what kind of proof is in Brad Stevens pudding. And I actually have first bite at the apple because I have Jordan Crawford, who doesn't quite qualify, but for when he came to Boston, it was a total revelation. It was a total flash in the pan. It was the beginning of the, whoa, Brad Stevens knows what he's doing with point guards. So he came to Boston posting 13.2 points per game, uh, 3.1 rebounds and 3.7 assists. And he left Boston posting reasonably the same stats, but he hadn't been a player that looked like he could handle a team. He couldn't, wild horses can't be tamed. And Jordan Crawford was a wild horse in Washington. And with Boston, he he was the best kind of spark plug. It was kind of that, whoa, that was a heat check, but also, Hey, let me play inside a system and let me set people up. Now it's not like the Celtics enjoyed much success uh, way back when this is 2014, 15, I believe, but Rondo was hurt and the Celtics needed a point guard to make things happen. And Jordan Crawford did not seem to have the resume to be that stabilizing force. And somehow Brad Stevens got that out of him. So I don't know what, Jordan Crawford's ceiling was going into the NBA or around that era. But I think whether it's Brad Stevens or the Celtic system, that was a reclamation project that you could consider a success. Uh, Next up on our list is none other than Mr. Chris Humphreys. Which one of you wants to talk about Chris Humphreys? I'll talk about big humph. Um, So I remember Chris Humphreys quite fondly actually on the Celtics uh, in particular, because there was a stretch during Chris Humphrey's uh, time here where he was legitimately our best player. Um, and that might speak uh, not so highly of those Celtics teams, but I remember an instance where 
um, Chris Humphreys hit a very tough fading corner three to win a game against the New Orleans then Hornets, I believe, uh, which was, that was a cool shot. And, you know, Chris Humphreys came in and he did pretty much exactly what uh, was expected of him. He was never really a dominant player beforehand. He had some kind of stints in uh, on the nets, you know, he, he was just kind of doing stuff. Um, and I think he was perfectly fine for what the Celtics needed at that point, which was just playable NBA bodies. They weren't really going anywhere. Um, and Chris brought a little bit of muscle, a little bit of force. He actually shot the ball reasonably well. I was pleasantly surprised by his uh, shooting numbers and percentages. And, you know, I'm going to say that Chris Humphreys uh, was a success under Brad Stevens in the following sense that Chris Humphreys was a relatively entertaining player to watch on what was a pretty miserable basketball team. I don't know if statistically Chris Humphreys was all that successful. Uh, He averaged only about 5.8 points a game, but he was a fun watch. So sure. Sure. (laughs) I mean, hopefully Jabari is more than just fun, but credit where credit is due, especially in the early days of the Celtics rebuild. We were just looking for fun. So uh, Alex, are you calling that a successful reclamation project, a lateral move? What is, what is your overall assessment? I would qualify it as a modest success. Modest success, okay. Uh, Jared Bayless, who uh, I remember in college way back in the early 20-teens, calling him Mr. Big Shot because he was a reliable clutch player, if not a – I mean, far from a star, but a reliable clutch player. I don't remember him uh, really stirring the pot in Boston too much. Do either of you – think of Jared Bayless as a reclamation project or was it just one of many stops for a professional NBA journeyman? I mean, I feel like he was a success in a limited sense and that he definitely improved his game in Boston. I mean, he jumped from 8.1 points per game to 10.1 points per game. He's definitely a team who benefited, you know, noticeably from playing under Brad Stevens. Jordan Crawford, for example, I, I actually... I don't see it as much. Like, I know he has the reputation. I know that we were all very excited to see him. And I think that was more about some discrete performances where he had really big games filling in for Rondo. But overall, I, I don't really see the, the the Jordan Crawford tenure in Boston as being that transformative. It was just some of those, like, really, like, catching fire games that stuck out in our memory. They kind of magnified him a bit more than I think he actually had an impact. Yeah, but, I mean, Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Come on. True. <laughs> What other title do you want, uh, if not Eastern Conference Player of the Week? Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. And to that end, Jared Bayless, it was it was a nice journey, but I don't think that I don't think they sold too many jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Alex, you're going to talk to us about Mr. Jonas Jerebko, who has not played in the NBA in a while. So, what sort of reclamation project was that? Well, here's the thing. When we got Jonas Jerebko, I'm not going to lie, I didn't have any idea who that was. I didn't even think about him. I didn't know that he was an NBA player. So to say that Jonas Jerebko um, came in as a guy who I literally didn't know existed and left as a guy that made an impression, I think qualifies as a success for me. Jonas Jerebko was a deep bench guy who was often called upon to play more minutes than he probably should have. Uh, The Celtics, as per usual, were perpetually injured and shuffling through bodies on a nightly basis. But I will say 
what impressed me about the Jonas Jerebko uh, tenure was his willingness to get dirty, to get really scrappy, uh, particularly in some of those series uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron and Kyrie, series that were not particularly close. But I always respected that Jerebko was trying really hard in all of those games. Um, he definitely, there were a couple of runs that I remember where uh, the Celtics were getting blown out and Jonas Jerebko would come in and just like fight for a loose ball, a dive on the floor, get an extra possession and spark a little mini run. You know, he was a perfectly fine shooter, um, decent rebounder for his size. Uh, not great at anything really, but just he, he visibly tried hard in every game, which I really appreciated and ultimately got rewarded uh, in that the shortly after his Celtics tenure, he jumped on the Golden State Warriors bandwagon, won two titles with them and was a trusted role player uh, throughout that process. So I would say Jonas Jerebko success in my mind, going from somebody who was literally unknown to a champion on the Golden State Warriors in large part because of the nasty that he showed on some of those Celtics teams. I think I think that's a clear success. Yeah, let's not spend any more time on that lest we become the Bill Simmons podcast. But the Warriors are an excellent transition because I have David Lee on my fact sheet. David Lee's fall from grace was really fast. And I don't want to say tragic, but it was sad. I mean, he was a consummate pro for the Knicks and the Warriors, and then the Warriors became the Warriors, and he took a real back seat. Uh, he did win a title with them in 2014-15, but in July of 2015, he was traded to the Celtics for Gerald Wallace and Chris Babb, if that's any metric of how far he had fallen. Uh, he didn't play particularly poorly or particularly well in Boston, but there was so much turmoil with the Celtics roster. There's so many young guys. There's so many veterans who were checked out, and he brought it, uh, and I respect I respected that very much. I don't think I ever thought that David Lee was uh, going to lead the Celtics to any sort of promised land, but I think Brad Stevens being a young coach, uh, his Celtics being a team in transition, David Lee being a two-time all-star and an NBA champion, he could have checked out pretty easily. And he became a productive member of a not very good team, but that wasn't in destiny. He could have been a very bad player on a not good team. Uh, and then he did go on to play really meaningful playoff minutes for the Spurs a few seasons later. So I'm going to assume that was because of Brad Stevens. It couldn't possibly be anything that the Spurs did. So I'm going to say that was a resounding success. David Lee was on his way out the NBA door. The Celtics gave him some of MJ's secret stuff. And then a few, late, uh, a few seasons later, he played meaningful playoff basketball for the Spurs. And that's definitely because of the Celtics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have. Don't worry, I have the next bite at the apple, and I get to talk about Jay Crowder, which I will definitely do logically. Okay, uh, do it. Jay Crowder was fun in Dallas. Jay Crowder averaged no more than seven points a game, playing bench minutes, and then he came to the Celtics, and he probably wasn't as good as you remember him being. But man, he was fun. He pokes people in the nose. He gassed people up. He shot imaginary arrows. He was a really fun player. He was too young and untested in Dallas. He played uh, two and a half seasons as a bench player in Dallas. And who's to say what his true ceiling was when he came to Boston, he got a bigger role. He went from averaging 10 minutes a game to 24 minutes game. And he saw reasonable upticks in performance. I don't think he was a a 
known quantity enough to really say that the Celtics or Brad Stevens did anything to make that happen. But I do love Jay Crowder. I love me some Jay Crowder. And Jay Crowder went on to be a really important player for the Heat team that did in the Celtics last year. And I'm not sure how important I think they are for the Suns team. He is for the Suns team. I would, oh, Alex thinks double thumbs up. I was going to say, meh. Uh, I guess we'll see if he probably is an overrated defender. He is a very streaky offensive player, but he's got some spit in his eye and I love that. So sure. Let's add him to the list reclaimed. Good job, Jay Crowder. Good job, Brad Stevens. All right. Next up. Uh, the one, the only, the moose, Greg Monroe, Alex. Yeah. So I remember, uh, where I exactly where I was. It was in my previous apartment in Brighton. Shout out Nick and Steve, if you're listening. Um, and uh, I remember thinking that, oh, you know, the Celtics are signing Greg Monroe. This is exactly the guy that I wanted off of the buyout market. Uh, I think he can add some juice to a team that's kind of been lacking it. And uh, I'm excited to see Greg Monroe be a part of the Celtics championship run that year. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, Greg Monroe showed up and proceeded to be quite a bit slower than I thought he was. Uh, and it, he, the whole time, he, he just kind of looked like the modern pace of the game had really left Greg Monroe in the dust. Um, he struggled pretty mightily in the moments that he did play for the Celtics. Uh, you know, he'll get a rebound. He'll kind of... He, he, he was, in a lot of ways, a, a much worse version of what Tristan Thompson does now for the Celtics. And uh, I, I was bummed because I was really excited to have Greg Monroe on the team. And uh, he just kind of ended up being a, a not playable guy to the point where uh, when we ultimately got defeated by the Bucks in the playoffs that year, uh, Greg, Greg really couldn't see the floor. Uh, they were just kind of exploiting him every time. So kind of a bummer. And Greg hasn't really done a whole lot since then. So, yeah, to say the least. Uh, yeah, that didn't quite work out. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you have the next potential reclamation project you have Shane Larkin. Tell us about the Shane Larkin experience. Well, I I suppose we could consider him a successful reclamation if he had designs on becoming one of the EuroLeague's greatest players of all time, which he has, strangely. But if we are looking at this through an NBA lens, he kind of fell out of the league because of his defense. His last Mm -hmm. was with Brooklyn after a year out of the league. And he was doing better at almost every other stage of his career than he did with the Celtics. Uh, he was definitely, you know, a beloved member of the Celtics. He was a key part of the playoff push in his, in his, in his, well, his only season with the Celtics. I really enjoyed his time in Boston, but he, he got worse. You know, he did not become a better player with the Celtics. He, he exited ignominiously with the, with the shoulder injury. Just nothing went right for him. It did not, you know, lead to him getting another position in the league. As we have said, you know, he went on, he's like got all these records over in the EuroLeague now for like highest scoring in the game, highest scoring average in the season. He's just tearing it up over there and he might actually be somebody we want back. But at this point now, he's just like, no. So not exactly one of his best reclamation, uh, I guess you would say projects. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if we wanted to put on our lawyer hats, I don't think that the Celtics had any pretension that they were going to turn Shane Larkin into anything other than what you just described. And he was the beneficiary of Brad Stevens being weirdly good at making point guards play better. Uh, I mean, the Isaiah Thomas train, that was just something else. So uh, good luck to Shane Larkin, wherever he might land in the world. 
Next up from the point guard position to the center position, we have all of Australia. Alex, tell us about the Aaron Baines, uh, Brad Stevens tandem. My man, Aaron Baines. Shout out to the Baines fan club on Twitter. Uh, Keep Baines posting. Don't let the haters bring you down. Um, I loved Aaron Baines from the moment he walked into the Celtics locker room. Uh, I have a real affection for players who are huge hulking monsters that are there to set giant screens and uh, block shots and play defense and uh, occasionally dunk on people. So I was all in on the Aaron Baines experience pretty much as soon as he got here. And to hear Tommy Heinsohn immortalize him uh, and perhaps some certain physical aspects that we shouldn't go into too much. The all of Australia nickname just stuck so well. And, you know, to his credit, I thought Baines was a great role player for this team. Mm -hmm. He just came in and did the dirty work. Um, He was a monster screen setter in his time uh, in Boston, which I really appreciated from an offensive standpoint. Uh, teams, Teams are always better in the modern era when they have at least one dude that can level you on a pick. And uh, I thought that Baines did a really nice job there. And I think it's hard to qualify him as anything other than a significant improvement from the player he came in as because Aaron Baines started shooting threes in Boston and he got pretty darn good at it to the point where last year on the Phoenix Suns, Aaron Baines was reliably hitting threes, uh, you know, basically from everywhere on the court. Now he has since uh, had a really tough year on the Raptors um, and the Raptors have had a really terrible year for a whole lot of reasons. And he is not exactly won over the Toronto Raptors fans. They don't, uh, they don't want to have him on their team for too much longer. That being said, I do think Aaron Baines can still be a very productive NBA player for the right team. Uh, I think that he's a little older now. I think it's going to be hard to ask him to do some of the stuff that athletically he was capable of doing in Boston but I think he can still be a very high quality vet in the right situation. At the very least, uh, if you need a guy to knock somebody on their ass, Aaron Baines is always going to be good at that. So big success in my mind. As a former resident of Australia, I can tell you it's a big place. So (laughs) quite the nickname. Uh, Speaking of reclaimed centers, our penultimate person on our official list, although I'm going to throw a few names in the ring after the fact, Let's talk about Ennis Cantor, Dr. Quinn. So Ennis is a big mystery. He was great. <laughs> I love that. No, I mean, really, though. I mean, he is just the best guy to have as a quote machine. He is really into a lot of really good causes. I, I loved having him to write about during mm-hmm. during the, the pandemic season. I guess this is still the pandemic season, but you know what I mean? The biggest thing was that he was good in Portland. He came to us, and for whatever reason, he just really regressed in just about every way. And I think at least some of that was accepting a smaller role, but it's not like he's, you know, in such a big role with Portland again this season. Now that he's back there. We burned asks to get rid of him. And here he is pulling down, like a, he's like a walking double, double in a backup role. And mm-hmm. it's just, why not us? What did we do? <laughs> like, what's, what's it's just, it's sad that it didn't work out because he is a really fun guy to have around. He is a good basketball player. And for whatever reason, it just did not work in Boston. Portland's halal food is much better than ours. So I think that's be part of it. Yeah. I don't know the the center position I think is always going to be an afterthought with Brad Stevens. And I think a smarter person than I could break down why 
Enes Kanter wasn't the rebound machine in Boston and he was elsewhere. But uh, from one player that went to Portland and then started to play better to a player that went to Portland, and I don't know if they played any better. Let's talk about Evan Turner. Apropos of nothing else, let's just revisit 2016 and what the ejection of TV money did to the NBA because Evan Turner signed a two-year, $6.7 million contract with the Celtics in 2014. He played very well. He was a six-man. He had several really, really fun triple-doubles. He came in and played point guard and won a few games. I mean, he was a good player. Certainly not uh, the player that people wanted him to be in Philadelphia or the player that people expected him to be in Indiana. I think that he had a really tough shake. He was expected to do way more than he possibly could have, especially in the context that he was put in. And so I think that's a successful reclamation project in and of itself that Evan Turner was something of an NBA outcast. And I mean, he was the rookie of the year. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Or something like that. He was, I don't know. I don't follow college basketball. <laughs> uh, but to come to Boston and sign a $6.7 million contract over the course of two seasons is a fall from grace. He comes to Boston. It's a team in limbo. He helps them win games. He helps them compete. And then he goes and he signs a four-year, $70 million contract with the Portland Trail Blazers because the summer of 2016 was silly and they should have smoothed the cap. So I think it was a reclamation project. It certainly was for Evan Turner's wallet. I think there's no doubt about that one, that his time in Boston was fruitful. Uh, He is now a coach uh, who occasionally shows up on the sidelines, I think increasingly. Uh, And that's very exciting for me. I love having Evan Turner. I think he's a good guy. I think he is a kind person. I think he's also great in an interview and I think he perhaps is one of Brad Stevens' finest reclamation projects. Although, again, the intern, we got to get new ones because whoever put this list together missed the best reclamation project of the Brad Stevens era. That would be Mr. Brad Wanamaker. Brad Wanamaker was a very good player at Pitt, but probably not good enough to play in the NBA. Then he played in Italy, the G League, France, Germany, and Turkey before ending up in a Celtics uniform and played so well that he was privy to coughing up really consequential turnovers in an Easter conference finals, which you don't get to do if you haven't been reclaimed. So did Brad Wanamaker kind of mess things up down the stretch for the Celtics last season? Sure. But to get to that point, he had to be something of a reclamation project. And I think that that was a really fun one. Uh, Any players that maybe we missed or that are worth shouting out? There's a bunch of them, and Wanamaker was one that I didn't include specifically because he hadn't been in the NBA before, so there wasn't anything to reclaim, in my opinion. But I like what you did there, and you convinced me. So I will take the L on that. Uh, But there were a lot of people you could say, like Amir Johnson, for example, was a name that was brought up. Uh, Who else were we talking about? I think Gerald Green, you can make the case. Gerald Green, but I mean... it's really debatable whether or not he was just kind of, you know, fluctuating as he had his whole career or whether or not he was being reclaimed because he wasn't, he wasn't expected to do much more than he was. So it was really dicey. He was in the same kind of a, same kind of a boat as, as a Jordan Crawford was for me. I have yeah. to say, I really like uh, Amir Johnson and his time in Boston. I, I think that's one that we probably should have included. Amir is, was one of my favorite players when he was here. Again, just classic dirty work grinder. So this is a conversation for another podcast and one we can end on a parenthetical, so to speak. 
I think the difference between being the 10th man on the Detroit Pistons, being the 10th man on the Boston Celtics or a winning team under the spotlight really changes narratives. And so whether or not Gerald Green was a productive player or a useful player or a net positive player, by virtue of the status of playing for a team in the mix, he went on to sign a few contracts that maybe a player playing an equivalent role for a small market team would not have earned. I had Marcus Morris on my list because he was playing well, but he's playing in purgatory, AKA Detroit. So did he come to Boston and play probably just as well, if not, not as well? Yeah. But showing up under the spotlight matters and Brad, Brad Stevens offers a spotlight to players in need of reclamation. So we can end there. I don't think we learned anything. I think we probably confused a bunch of people, but we got to talk about Brad Maker and Evan Turner. So that's, let's chuck that up to a win. Go ahead and download Divine Sweater's new album, 10-Year Project. Go ahead. 10-Year Plan. 10-Year Plan, 10-Year Project. All sorts of 10-Year things. Uh, go ahead and find Dr. Quinn on Celtics Wire. Find Alex on OTG Basketball. You can find me on Celtics Hub and OTG Basketball as well. Go ahead and give us five stars if you haven't done that already. Go ahead and log on to your Burner account. Give us five stars on that one. Download a t-shirt. And Alex, what's the score? Oh, boy. Um, well, uh, we are down 68-64. Uh, we've gone a long stretch without a bucket. John Corrales says two minutes and 46 seconds. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's a winnable game, but we're playing a lot of those so-called reclamation projects. And, uh, well, it's getting interesting. Just another chapter in the war on Tice. Thank you for listening.